It's Melissa, and this is House of Content, a podcast that dives into the world of creators, social media, culture, and more. In a world where financial advice is just one click away on platforms like TikTok, we're diving into the universe of money talk and influencers. So with the rise of the creator economy, we are seeing more and more financial content creators on platforms like TikTok. I want to know what are your thoughts on this? Like, is this modern financial literacy or could it be a red flag? What are the good and the bad of money talk to borrow one of the trending audios of, on on tiktok oh my god i love this question <laughs> <laughs> i really love that as a community as a nation we're talking about money because i think that when it comes to a lot of other things we're so smart and informed and educated and nobody talks about money. And I think especially moving to the US where the system is completely different, you have your credit scores, you're filing your own taxes, your retirement 401ks. I think the absolute best part of it is that there's a democratization of information. And I think that there are a lot of people that are breaking down uh, financial uh, advice in a manner that is actually snackable and accessible to audiences. But obviously, you know, you have to do your research and you have to know who to trust and then also, you know, check your sources as, as it is with any content online. But I love it overall. I so agree. And it's funny that the first thing that came to my mind is how good it is that there are people now sharing some of this information and especially loopholes when you think about the United States that a lot of people haven't had access to. Um, they maybe haven't had people in their lives that are truly creating wealth and know about all of these loopholes, as I like to call them. But it's, to your point, so complex because if your financial literacy or knowledge is not that deep, you can't just take someone's financial advice and run with it. So as much as it's good, it can be bad and it can have massive implications and risk. So you need to be able to take some of that advice with a grain of salt and do your own research. Yeah, I wouldn't listen to the crypto bros on TikTok. No. <laughs> or the drop shipping bros. Oh yeah, that's 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 a subset of the crypto bro. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> it really it's, it's a sub tribe. Um yeah, no, I think that's and and especially I think one of the biggest misconceptions around money is that in order for you to make any type of an impact in your future, you need to be wealthy to start with. And I think yeah. that deters, and the system is made that way. The system looks scary, especially when it comes to investing and um, and managing your finances. But I actually think when you break that stuff down, it's a lot simpler also. Like ob obviously you go on social and everybody simplifies topics and you're not going to be an expert after watching five videos, but it's also not as difficult as I think some of the traditional financial institutions want to make us think that it is. I was going to say, I'm also really curious of your thoughts, Melissa, knowing that your partner is creating content around the topic and you work on a brand that connects to this. What do you think? Well, the thing is that what I, what I really love about this uh, like digital age and how financial literacy is becoming more accessible is the fact that previously, I feel like accessing that information was so intimidating. Like you would have to, you know, read books and stuff about it. And not everyone enjoys reading books. So I feel like now 
people have the opportunity to access this information through just content. And even though it can sometimes oversimplify it a lot, I feel like it just, it's like, it was traditionally like money information has been traditionally perceived as boring, but now I feel like people are allowed to have a little bit more fun with it and learn about money through fun content. There can be, there's even like a lot of like parodies and like kind of like a more comedic place that teach about money. So it doesn't like, it feels like you're getting entertained while you're learning. And that is something that like I work with one of my clients as a digital bank. So that's where we're all the time trying to think of different ways where people can learn about money and talk about money while getting entertained and inspired at the same time. So it doesn't feel like, you know, you're just, you know, teaching about budgeting or savings account and things like that, but rather actually like uh, getting just inspired and entertained by the content. I also think it's so important to have fun, educational, even humorous content around money because it will then also push people to be more open about money and talk about money. I think that even coming from for, coming from Finland, I don't think the Finnish culture is very oriented around even like speaking about money. They, there's yeah. a lot about like, you know, there is this Finnish saying, if you have luck, <laughs> if you have luck, you better hide it. Right. And yeah. I think that says yeah. all about that mindset of like, you don't really speak about money. You don't speak about financial successes. You don't swap even within stories. families. Like families no. don't really have that open talk. Like you don't know wh- how much your siblings are necessarily no. making or how much your parents were making. Like no. money is a, sort of a taboo. But also what I think has been interesting is that at the same time, it's a country kind of obsessed with numbers. And so trying other to find people's out money, because, they count other yeah. people's money. <laughs> yeah. So when I've been interviewed for Finnish media, the first question is always, how much do you make? Really? So I think wow. it's really interesting. And and in Finland, when they announce the tax information each year, the headlines are basically around who makes the most uh, when it comes to this celebrity and that celebrity. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. It's like a whole thing. But then we don't th- talk about how much our peers are making. No. We don't talk about how people are investing. Before I moved to Not the US, I didn't know anybody who invested. I never had a single conversation about money with any That's of my girlfriends crazy. or friends overall. Well, where do you get your information now? I'm curious to know if <laughs> you both follow influencers or if there's content that you learn from now and what got you into it if it wasn't your inner circle of friends there's this one uh, guy who actually now has a netflix show called i will teach you how to be rich uh, mm-hmm. ramit sethi he originally wrote the book the book's actually on my audible now it's on the list of books i'm gonna listen to but i i really like his content he has a podcast as well and he's breaking down how real people are spending money so couples and he's helping them you know they have different types of challenges like one of the spouse has spouses has a lot of student loans for example or whatever it may be so he actually breaks down what they spend and where they should be moving their money around. And I love his approach because it's about spend shamelessly on what you love. Just determine what what is it that makes you happy. Like for me, for example, it's farm Rio dresses. <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> and so he and so and so he's not about I saw like, your post last week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's 
It's, it's, it's not about cutting down on like, don't have a latte, a $7 latte ever again, yeah. because you want to buy a house, but rather break down your budget. And then this is the percentage that you're going to spend on stuff that you really love. And then you're going to cut on stuff that doesn't matter to you. Like people get so mad at him when he talks about owning a seven, I think it's like a, a ridiculously old Honda Civic that he drives and he's a millionaire and he's like, I don't care about cars. I care about traveling. I don't want to, I can buy an expensive car if I wanted to, but I don't care about it. And I love that. This is actually a topic that we discussed because when I started dating my partner, he was driving a truck that he got in high school and I thought it was the best thing. When like some women, I think could have been like, okay. And he works what in finance. Going on? And he works in finance and he does drive a Tesla now or actually mm-hmm. two. But that's not the point. The point is like that person had a pretty healthy way to look at finances and money. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a car that works. The one time I was like, okay, maybe we can think about a new car was when we were driving to Vegas and the car was literally smoking uh, on the (laughs) desert highway. But I think that's a good example. And people are so pressed about it because they care so much about what it looks like. And it's like, you could do this, you could do that, but that's not the point. Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, again, like Rami, he he has this very positive approach to money. I think we hold on, we hold on to so much emotion around money. And I don't know how um, both of you grew up, but for example, for me, I, I always had the basics, but my mom is a, a single mom and she's a, she's a teacher. And so she had two daughters. And so we, you know, we didn't, we didn't take yearly vacations to the beach in Greece or have like anything extra like that. And so for me and my family, like the, the, the feelings around money were always negative. There's never enough money. We have to count our money. When I was, when I turned 18, my mom kind of just shared with me for the first time that she's really struggling. And four days later, I got a job at Subway making sandwiches to Mm -hmm. help support my mom, which I'm very proud of. But Mm -hmm. I always had this feeling around money that is like a source of anxiety and there's no safety net. And I'm always going to have to like, like coming from a place of fear. And I think moving here to the US, I was able to like kind of switch that around and be positive about money and like excited about money and like also like take some control over it. What's your relationship with money? So I also started working really young. And while my parents have always been able to support my hobbies and things like that, when it was, oh, I want to go travel and do this or buy things that I don't absolutely need, they're sort of like, then you got to go to work. And so I was actually making hot dogs. And so I started working even before I turned 18 as well and have been working ever since. So from a very young age, I feel like I developed my own relationship and I started to think about, okay, I have this money. How do I want to spend it? But it wasn't until I moved here that I really had to have a bigger moment because I feel like here you also spend a lot more money. And Mm -hmm. I really struggled with that. I struggled uh, spending money on things that are for my well-being or things that I didn't absolutely need because of where I came from. And I I think England has a big influence on that because it's like taboo. For example, we had someone come clean the house And I was like, oh my God, like this is a huge thing for me because it's not seen as something you shouldn't be spending money on. 
Like, why aren't you doing it yourself? Yeah, I I personally struggle with paying for cleaning services. I'm still cleaning yeah. here myself. I'm like, also, there I kind of like it. I'm my mother's daughter. I want to put my my headphones on, listen to a podcast, yeah. and just rage clean. <laughs> yeah. Mel, Mel, please tell me you also worked at a fast fast food oh joint. Do we have that holy trinity? No, actually not. But I also started working like really early on. I I had my first summer job when I was like 11. That was only for like a week or so, but still, like that was my first experience. Actually, like mm-hmm. you know, working uh, like selling these like old traditional Finnish games. But then I went on to having like different summer jobs like uh, ever since after that summer. But I can really resonate with the kind of like money mindsets that you were just sharing. And also like, uh, my mom was also a single mom. So there was also this kind of like scarcity mindset. We didn't have too much extra like to hobbies or travels and stuff like that. So I kind of like, I learned to just that it's not okay to really spend money on fun things. But then once I actually started making some of my own money, I could be also a little bit reckless with the money because I hadn't really learned to just like save it like in a, in a smart way and like put it away. So there's been like a lot of like money mindset shifts that I've been having to work in the past couple of years just to kind of fix my relationship with money, the way I think about money uh, to have like a more healthier approach so I, I wonder if there's something about it, like that we're all Finnish and, and we come from a background where, you know, just a bit over a hundred years ago, you know, we had, I mean, in less we than a hundred so years poor. ago, we had wars. Yeah. So I feel like that might have some impact on the way mm-hmm. that we collectively yeah. think about money. Yes. And it's something that you just said right there about coming from that mindset of like, okay, you cannot spend money on fun things or things mm-hmm. that you want. And then when you finally make your own money, you're almost like rebelling against it. I was mm-hmm. exactly the same because then like, oh, I'm making my own money now. And especially living in Finland, because you don't have to really have, you don't have to have that safety net of money for like, for example, medical expenses. And exactly. you're not, yeah. gonna, you're not going to be homeless if you lose your job. And first of all, it's a lot tougher to lose your job in Finland. So then like I, when I was making my own money, I was reckless in the sense of like, I would just spend on like whatever I wanted. Like I was never in debt. And so like, I never spent money that I didn't have, but I also wasn't saving money. I wasn't investing and I wasn't looking into that. And coming into the US, I was like, holy shit, I need to be my own safety net here. Mm -hmm, And that's kind of what like propelled me to really um, shift that and also made me a lot more interested in money topics overall. But going back to our original question, um, do you have financial creators that you like and follow and resonate with? So I follow Mrs. Dow Jones. Yes. I (laughs) know that we all love her. And I think a huge part of that because it's also entertainment. It's Mm -hmm. also pop culture. It's also topics that are you know, close to my life and the the questions that she asks and talks about just hit hard. I mean, she has a whole content series around how much money are you willing to spend to go to someone's wedding? You know, I definitely find that very relevant. Um, (laughs) She made a video about how she's going to make her goddaughter or child a millionaire by X, Y, and Z year, you know, so she takes these pretty courageous uh, approaches to educating us more about the things that you can do. And she has a huge focus on celebrities as well. So she kind of draws you in with these hooks uh, that are more connected to pop culture or popular topics. 
but you learn a lot. So I really enjoy that content. But then when I was thinking about other influencers, I realized that I don't necessarily gravitate towards following a lot of them, but I'd say I follow the topics a lot. I follow money talk. I follow investing. I follow those a lot more than individual people. I like the conversations around especially couples and money and how you how you approach that. We were just talking yesterday Mm -hmm. because we like, we're super open about money with my husband. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, we have a, we have a prenup, we have everything separated. He has a son. And so he has responsibilities that I don't have. And what works best for us is that, you know what, we have some joint expenses that we split the way we've decided to split. And then the rest, you know, I do whatever I want with my money and he does whatever he wants with his money. And I know that for him, especially, you know, coming from a culture like Brazil, he's like, you you know, we're both, we love the way our, our finances are set up. But for a lot of people, they would feel like it's so unromantic, like you got married and you don't have a joint account, you're not building, building something together. And for a lot of people, it feels like the system that we have is almost like if we were sleeping in separate rooms, that's the analogy mm. that he uses but I'm so fascinated around like psychology around money and I could just like keep listening to uh, or watching videos on it like all day long same I always also watch those videos of like how how do other couples do it because like uh, I've been together with my partner for a couple years and uh, we for example have our I mean obviously we have our own accounts but we also have a lot of shared accounts a lot of shared credit cards as well for different kind of expenses Mm -hmm. and when we were looking for information how couples do it for example before marriage it's like a lot of people wouldn't necessarily have their finances together even though on in this time and age people tend to live together before getting married so you kind of mm-hmm. have your like you know housing expense a lot of expenses together you're still planning your life together so it was like really fascinating to see that there wasn't much advice for people who weren't married about like putting your finances together uh so it's like so that's something that we have been looking into like how do other people do it and then just like realizing that no like we have to come up with our own way to do it like of course we can see how others are doing and maybe get inspired by it but in the end it it really comes down to like how it works the best for the two of you or for yourself. Dean I I think that's interesting because I also had a similar approach where I felt weird about going okay we're married now we have to put everything together. I love the independence of having Mm -hmm. my own money and not having to report to someone how I'm spending it at all time. Like there's that mutual trust of like, we have goals together that we're working towards. So we, for example, have savings accounts together and we invest together, but we Mm -hmm. have our own accounts and we spend our money the way we want. Mm -hmm. That said, we Mm -hmm. have started to incorporate like family financial meetings to look at our spending Mm -hmm. so that we can motivate each other to save more or cut some unnecessary expenses or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that it's about not being romantic or whatnot if you're not fully combining. And it's interesting, my husband works in finance, but I was the one that got him to introduce new ways of saving. He, for example, didn't separate everything into a savings account when we started dating, which was a long time ago. (laughs) But now he's the one that's driving like 
which saving accounts are yielding the most for us and where do we want to invest. While I, on the other hand, had bought an apartment and had invested in different ways. And so I think there's a middle ground where you can feel like you have independence over your money, Mm -hmm. but you're still open about the decisions you're making to the other person because essentially Mm -hmm. you are building a family together and your finances are together. I've learned actually most of my financial knowledge from my partner. So like a lot of things were like totally new to me. Like I used to see budgeting as like this really like restricting and like a negative thing. Mm -hmm. And just overall, like I find it found it really hard to even have these conversations around money because I was not used to having that because we never really had that like in Finland and in my family or among my friends. Yeah. So I really learned most of this stuff from my boyfriend and like that that's how I got also introduced to you know different financial books and you know with money talk and all of this yeah. so so i feel like that's definitely been like the biggest um driver for my own personal financial literacy journey how about social media so have you tried applying financial advice from social have you bought stocks after seeing a tiktok i have definitely made Actually, some successful stock buys from TikTok tips. Oh, nice! <laughs> the the biggest thing disclaimer that you have to have is if you are introduced to a new IPO, a company, a stock that has potential or whatnot, you have to do your own research. It definitely doesn't work. I think what is interesting is someone who's kind of like talking about let's say a new IPO and really breaking it down so that there's a quicker way for you to get some of that information that you can then decide what you research more. So yeah, I I've had more positive results, but I think I'm pretty risk averse as well. So I'm not going to look at a video and go for like some company I have no clue about uh, or that seems risky to begin with. I buy ETFs like they're candy, especially like, you know, if I see a, I've, I've seen videos of like certain ETFs and then obviously I put them on Google and if it's like, you know, Forbes done a profile on it, it's on Motley Fool. There's a few other, other, other kind of like things I'm like, all right, uh, but it takes me maybe like five minutes to decide. What yeah. to what what to buy? Um, so Ramit actually has this budget spreadsheet that you can download on his site, and I I use that. So I, you input all of your expenses, and you can kind of then you can kind of see how everything is divided. I think there's just one caveat of like if you live in a city like New York City mm-hmm. or probably even Los Angeles, like you're probably not going to be able to get to get your housing expenses to be like around 29 30% that the, that's yeah. usually the number that a lot of financial experts like it's just not going to happen and your yeah. overall expenses too so there there are a couple caveats there but i do i do use that budget planner and i love because it has that section again for like spending on stuff that you really love mm-hmm. and so i like yeah. seeing it there my little column of like this goes to like fashion and beauty and all of the all of the stuff that i really enjoy yeah i i haven't necessarily like gotten that much advice i think it's more about inspiration like i get really inspired by other people's like financial journeys and how for example they first had like 100k student debt and like how they tackled that and how they started building wealth and getting into like real estate and stuff like that so i like getting like inspired and see kind of like what kind of financial journeys other people have had 
but I also have gotten inspired by, for example, these like kind of money meetings that um, you, Yanni, mentioned earlier. Yeah. Like that's something that I also saw happening a lot on TikTok, and people were kind of romanticizing that, and yeah. that kind of like made it feel even more of like this, like oh, like that that's that can actually be like this nice like a beautiful moment that you have with your partner instead of like, Oh, yeah. like we have to look into finance and money and calculate like, cause I had some like, like these negative connotations to that. So I feel like that kind of helped me see that in a more like positive light as well. And it's like this kind of like a beautiful moment where you're building your future together. My favorite thing is to open a compound interest calculator and input like, Hey, if you and I, if we, <laughs> if we invest this much into like, let's say our 401ks and then, um, IRAs and, uh, and our other investment accounts, like if we put this much money, um, for let's say 15 years, we're going to have this much money by the end of it. And I'm like, I, <laughs> how I romantic know. Christine, <laughs> can you do that for me? <laughs> But then we, then we could talk about, but then we can talk about like all of the stuff that we can like spend that money on. Like I want to go on like luxury trips and like five-star hotels. I want to go to that hotel in, in Sicily where they filmed season two of White Lotus. And so I yes. think like, so I think like it's, it's, it's a lot about changing your money approach and how you view it and coming from a place of control over fear. One of the books that really changed this for me, and I know that the book has a bit of, little bit of a cheesy title, it's called Rich Bitch, but it's by Nicole Lapin. And she actually just basically like breaks down like, hey, this is how you should handle your finances. And it really is very simple. It's like pay off your debts and loans first, if you have them, not obviously mortgage, but other types. After you're done with that, save up six months of emergency funds. And obviously, again, all of this advice is contingent upon you having the means to do all of this. Yeah. But that's kind of the ideal. Then you like save up your your emergency fund. And then after that, after that, when you have that foundation set, and then obviously, you know, have your contributions going into if you have a 401k matching program with your company that you work for, but then also after that, that's when you can start investing every month once you have that foundation set. And I started doing that because when I read that book, I my my net worth was four thousand dollars, and I, and it was four thousand dollars because I had just gotten my tax returns my first year in to um, living in New York, and I was like, "Fuck, I really like I need to I need to do something about this." And yeah. and I was really able to completely transform how I both manage my finances, but my net worth and everything. And now like, I'm happy to say that I'm in a pretty comfortable position after having used this system for like the past five years. I have a pretty interesting story. We were going to get into this later when talking more about how brands are using money talk and financial influencers. But my moment like yours was, it was not the same at all. It was interesting because I was actually in a position where I was made partner in the previous agency. And, you know, it sounds really cool. You watch some like shows where someone's a partner, but I had never really like thought about it more than that. I didn't really get in the beginning that Obviously, you're investing in a company. It's not like you you get given this title, but you you pay money and you invest mm-hmm. your own money. And so I was in, luckily in a position where I was able to put down this money 
to be able to invest. And the way that you would make money is obviously through dividends as well as if your share or share price increases over the years with the company doing better. So it was interesting because that was, I would say, a, a big investment for me being, you mm-hmm. know, I was probably 25. And so when I moved to the US, I obviously had to shell my share. Um, and I ended up buying my apartment before um, I moved as well. And so I was making these moves that were a lot different to how I had approach money before. And I think it kind of kickstarted this journey. And then when I moved here, I actually worked on a financial brand and I had already been in the US maybe a year or maybe less, but it was around 401ks. Mm-hmm. It was a retirement uh, investment campaign. And the campaign and working on it, I realized how dumb I was because I had sort of not taken as much initiative starting my own 401k because it was a topic that's quite quite complex when you first move. And I was sort of like, I'm going to do it, but just I have a lot of stuff to handle first. But it was so dumb because we have matching. And mm-hmm. so that work inspired it's free money. me to... Yeah, exactly. That work inspired me to get that done. And then I started working on a, a brand that was trying to get younger first-time investors to actually invest. And then I started investing as well. Um, And we as a team started to create this habit of discussing and sharing our stock and ETF moves, which was, again, to your point, not something that I had done before and not something that's talked about really in Mm -hmm. Finland. Then more recently, we also have a brand that that works around credit cards and debit cards and all of that. And that got me to think a lot more about the credit card point game. Although I will say my husband's very deep in that. And I've also learned a lot from him. And he's been like helping also, you know, friends that have moved from Finland to here uh, with some of those financial decisions and credit card things. But it's interesting how the more you know, clearly, the more actively you're taking control. And so for me, it happened through briefs and works where you really had to dig deep and research. But I think the takeaway for anyone is the more you know, the more you can take control. Mel, I know that you've also, you work with, you have a financial client. What's, is there like a piece of advice or a nugget or anything that you kind of took to heart after working on the brand that kind of really stayed with you? I only moved to the States about eight months ago and I started working on this financial or digital bank immediately. Like there was like a lot of new knowledge about just how the the system works here in the States, like from like credit card scores uh, credit scores to uh, like credit cards. I didn't even have a credit card in Finland. So like I really had to start from the very basics. Mm-hmm. Like every single person in the States has a credit card and I just never like had to get one in Finland because it's like, I mean, surely some people have it, but it's not as common because we don't have the same kind of credit uh, credit Wait. score system where that would be, yeah, that would be necessary. So like I really had to learn, like start from the very basics. Like, okay, like... Like, I felt weird even having my own credit card. I'm like, why? I don't need this. Like, I can just, I have the money that I have. And then, like, I had to learn about the the points and, you know, how, you know, building your score and how that plays a role when you're, when you're taking a loan or whatever kind of financial decisions you, you want to make. So, 
So that was actually something that accelerated my, my like learning process of money in the States as well. And of course, like I was very lucky to have my partner as well, like teaching me about all those things and like adding me as an authorized user on his, on his, uh, credit card so that I could actually really like start billing my score as efficiently as possible. So I think it definitely has impacted the way that I've been able to like really grow my knowledge because I, you know, I may, I create content around that. So I had to like, I had to learn as much as possible, like in a really short amount of time. So I'm really grateful for that because now like after eight months, I'm really like, well ahead of my like financial journey in the states like i you know 401k like i started that also like you know immediately although the matching only started like six months in Mm -hmm. um so so yeah i feel like that like we can consider ourselves lucky to be able to work for clients that expose us to this kind of financial Mm -hmm. knowledge because otherwise you might not even be aware of that because like, as you said, we have so many different things to think about when we move here. Like, you know, we still have to take care of a lot of stuff back home. So it's not necessarily the first in a priority list when in fact it should be because that like, especially in the States where you don't have that security net, like your financial well-being um, Mm -hmm. and base is everything. I only got my first credit card one year into living here. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Around the same time that I read the, um, the Nicole Lapin book and I got that Capital One three hundred dollar mm. limit. That was the first. The first oh only yeah, one like that a I could prepa- get. prepaid card. No, it wasn't prepaid. I got. Oh, a, I had to like get a prepaid limit. card. Yes, and yeah. I yeah, I couldn't get a prepaid card because I, that would have meant like maybe putting like a thousand dollars out of the four K that I had um, mm. in total. So, oh, right. so, so I started just like getting that first credit card, and when I'd had that for maybe six months, I was then able to get a proper one through my bank, and then you go from you go from there. And, and especially now that, you know, you have so much of this financial content on socials, it's not just about, to me, it's not just about following financial advice, but overall f- following people that are experts in industries that you're really passionate about. And I think yeah. that was also one of the big learnings for me is that you don't necessarily have to follow all of these different institutions or creators that talk about areas in finance that are not interesting to you, but rather, let's say if you're really passionate about the beauty space, follow beauty, follow that beauty space and become an expert on what's happening there company wise, because the more you know about what moves companies Mm -hmm. are making, like, for example, I just, I just read L'Oreal's first half year. Um, It's just a summary of how their business is doing globally as a whole. And they're investing a lot into um, biotech and mm-hmm. that area of beauty. And so then that to me informs that, okay, this really is something that's rising and that companies in the beauty space are investing a lot of money into what are some of the other companies that I can maybe buy stock on that are probably going to fare really well because this is the direction that the industry is taking. So I also follow some creators that are more around talking about DTC or talking about industries that I'm really passionate about, for example, Kira McKenzie. She, yeah, I, I believe, love her. Yeah. So she actually worked at Power Digital, um, my previous agency. I don't think we worked there at the same time, but she's, she's now, uh, she now works for a hedge fund and she breaks down all these like different kind of like behind the scenes of like why certain companies get investments, why they're faring well, how to evaluate a company for So I'm, I, 
I, I really think that people should just follow companies and, and areas they're interested in and then apply that in their financial planning. I'm so glad you said that because this is the number one realization that changed everything for me. If you are a creator or someone working with brands, you have a lot more knowledge and understanding of where to invest than you think, to mm-hmm. your point. If mm-hmm. you are interested in beauty, if you are interested in naturally following you know, retail world, the chances are that you have a lot of knowledge that you can put into your research about where to invest and where the industry is moving. And this is the number one thing that gave me a lot of confidence to start investing, to use some of the knowledge that we have towards making that decision. So yeah, it's huge when you start to think of it in that way and not something complex or only for those talking, uh, you know, suited men heads on financial, I don't know, boring sites. Like like it's really more about like where the world, the industry brands are going than anything else. Yeah, like I'm not going to be watching videos about microchips, no matter how important they may be no. for like AI companies. <laughs> no, and you don't have to, you know, I think you should only invest where you truly feel like you understand and have passion for as well. Investing is also a tool to influence, right? Mm-hmm. So I look at a lot of ETFs that are around clean energy and, mm-hmm. you know, charging mm-hmm. and things like that which is kind of random, but if you think about it through values and, you know, being someone who drives a Tesla, you know, you start to follow those topics, but you also think of it more from a business perspective of like, where's the world going? We see, you know, climate change influencing us in big ways right now. So it's only a matter of time when we have to take leaps towards some of those things. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mel, for you, especially since you're like, you're thinking about these topics every day from the angle of content, where do you think financial content is heading overall? Well, I think that there's going to be more integration of tech like it is in in every content space. Like I think there's going to be like we're going to be moving towards more personalized, like AI driven financial advice, because now it's like, it's kind of like you kind of have to find whatever advice could apply for you, but you still have to use a lot of your own thing. And I feel like that's going to become more personalized and even more interactive. I believe that there's going to be more, um, the companies are going to be investing more like interactive financial educational tools like augmented and virtual reality, for example, like, for example, taking this kind of virtual finance workshops or exploring investment scenarios in a virtual world. Like, I feel like all of that um, is going to also play a part in the financial content and the way that we learn about money. Um, So yeah, I just think overall it's going to become more personalized, like from from what it's been currently. I I also think like, it, what is going to probably continue is that the content around finance is going to be a lot more digestible and interesting. I know that there's even a, a podcast in Finland that's directed to women and that really breaks down investing and budgeting and saving more from a female point of view. And mm-hmm. I think it's not like, oh, it's female point of view because you need to simplify. Not at all. It's more about 
using topics that are interesting, like we've talked about, like Mrs. Dow Jones, but sort of the finished version. But I hope that that continues because that is what's going to get a lot more people interested because trying to do something that's boring and something that you don't anyways enjoy isn't a great way to get people to lean into finance more. And even more niches, you know, you mentioned yeah. like all these groups for like uh, or financial creators who target women, but I've seen even more like, let's say financial educators who target like black women or yeah. single mothers so that they, yeah. they are all familiar or they're coming all from the same kind of situation and background so they can give the best possible yeah. advice for those who are also struggling with similar issues. So, and I feel like that's already starting to happen. Like if you look at the biggest uh, influencers out there, they're still mostly men and like just, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and, and, talking to like male audience, like they don't necessarily share the same kind of pain points and struggles that women do. So yeah, I think even more niches, especially when it comes to women. As much as it's interesting to look at a page like Salary Transparent Street, people are pretty pressed in the comments because a lot of the salaries and roles and cities don't apply to them. Or when you look at someone who's posting a video saying, you know, here's how much I spent in a day in New York. A lot of people are like, this is not at all relevant to me because I don't have even close to the budget that you have to spend. And so I definitely think that niche niche examples where you're starting from a similar point is needed because that's what we haven't had. And social media can be pretty toxic because it mystifies how people make money as well. Mm -hmm. Like who made, who made the money that, that contributed to you being able to do that or who, who paid for your Europe vacation? Um, (laughs) It's not really clear. Or who paid for that bag? Was it your sugar daddy? Was it your brand collaborations? Was it your side hustle or your third side income? You know, we don't know. And so I think it can also create this crazy illusion that everyone else is doing better than you. So to your point, I feel like niche, transparent niche information and content is much needed. Yeah, I need I need a niche for professional women that are doing well in their careers, but also live in expensive cities and cannot buy a Gucci bag every single month. That's like my niche. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can start that. (laughs) Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Um, Are we ready for the click through rage of the week? Rage away. Uh, We are. It it already gets me annoyed. So Meta launched these AI chatbots and turned more than a dozen celebrities and influencers into robots. Uh, these characters include Snoop Dogg, Mr. Beast, Tom Brady, Kendall Jenner, Charlie D'Amelio, and there are like many more. And they they plan on doing this for like, I think it was 30 other celebrities uh, in the coming months. And at the same time, there's more and more of these deep fake ads and content circulating online. So it's kind of like an interesting space, like, like big companies like Meta are launching these AI chatbots, but at the same time, it's becoming like a, a real issue. For example, Mr. Beast is now like 
you know, calling TikTok ads, showing an AR version of him as a scam. Yeah. So do you think social media platforms are really to really handle the race, uh, the rise of AI deep fakes? Isn't Tom no. Brady a robot already? <laughs> like- <laughs> I, I find these extremely disturbing, scary unnecessary just it makes me think of trump who need, it feels like a post-truth era no, no one asked for this exactly why don't you think about using ai to save the world in some way yeah zuckerberg maybe even use ai just to serve me an ad of a product that i actually haven't bought already oh, so i think you know there you go anything else but kendall jenner that's not kendall jenner yeah it's yeah. they're trying too hard. And I feel like it's still like it, it almost feels like this like trickle down or remnants of the whole metaverse craze that now everybody has forgotten yeah. and they've moved on to becoming AI experts. But And this could be a whole different topic though. But I also mm-hmm. don't understand how these celebrities allowed Meta to completely own their identity. I was and so surprised by that. I, I wonder how much they don't paid. know how much they paid. It must have been a lot because I don't know if I ever would sell. I mean, give me a hundred million. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good I don't know. If it's a hundred mil, I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> I it's don't like know. there's so much about us already online. It's like yeah. you probably sh- already shared your DNA to understand your ancestry. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. now you're selling the last bit of it. I don't know. I'm yeah, not, but maybe not, I would just I'm not ready for it. Maybe I don't know. I would just sell it for a hundred million, and then I would be com- go completely offline. Like so I'm if you're listening, the, that's Christie's price. You can uh, you can send us an email if you have an offer. If not, that's I'll send fine. you a postcard. That's that way you'll know I'm off the grid forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is it for this week's episode. Thank you again so much for listening, and remember every five-star review and um, rating helps us move along those charts. At some point, I think we were in like the top 30 in Finland. So thank you all of our Finnish um, listeners. The US next. Yes, US next. Until next time, you have been listening to House of Content.